0: Welcome to the Whiskey Rebellion. This is David Silken in Edinburgh, joined as always by Frank Cagliano. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing great, David. I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Uh, so yesterday, uh, C-SPAN released their Presidential Historian Survey, a ranking of the, the 44 uh, men thus far, at least, uh, who have held uh, the presidency. Uh, and we wanted to reflect upon uh, this this survey and its, its rankings Long time listeners may recall we did, I think, maybe episode three or four way back four years ago. I think we commented a a similar survey, uh, but this is a new one, a new one. The first one to include President Trump, at least of the C SPAN surveys, we thought it'd be a good topic to revisit. And a fun one to revisit.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a holiday weekend in the in in North America. It's Canada Day today for our Canadian listeners, and it's the Fourth of July in the United States in a couple of days. So so, uh, we're, we're having summer fun. Summer fun. <laughs> right? So nothing we're saying should be taken seriously because, the, frankly, these surveys aren't. I, I mean, they're serious in the in the sense that they're trying to. Uh, Rank these people relative to each other, but it's an impossible and, frankly, slightly nonsensical Yeah, task. I think it's kind of stupid, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. and, and, and in fact, when one of these surveys came out, President Kennedy, I think actually when the second of these came out, he said, this is stupid, right? right? Like, nobody, you know, like, evaluating, the comparing the role of the presidency has changed so much. You know, a couple of these people who they're ranked were not president for very long. How do you rank Garfield? He was only president for a 100-something days. How do you rank William Henry Harrison, who was president for... What forty days? You know, like who knows? But yeah, but
1: this is—I mean—we would happily sit in the pub, David, and argue about the oh, sure. merits of, of baseball players from across eras. So it's a bit—it's a bit like that.
0: It's a bit like that, but but you know, it, we we tend to also when we do that comparison, try to pick people who are in you know similar enough eras. We don't compare old you know, Hoss Radburn to Roger Clemens.
1: Well, you don't.
0: But... Okay. <laughs>
1: You know, no, actually let's not get distracted let's
0: get let's get let's get down to this people really don't care about 18th <laughs> no, century but my, my 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 point right.
1: being my point being that it, it's a it's a silly exercise. Um, I do think it, it, but it's revealing in terms of what we might say mm. about the historical profession. Oh, about ourselves, sure. it's more revealing, you know, and who rises and who falls follows, is interesting. Right? So, so yes. let's, let's get on with this. Yes. So, so we, we're not counting down all 45. Are oh no, we? no, 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 mean, no. It's well, not
0: the top. 40. I think we should sort of contextualize this, this survey because this is obviously yeah. not the first time that these surveys have happened. Uh, the first one, uh, at least the Tradition seems to start in 1948 when Art Schlesinger Sr. of, of Harvard University did a poll of, of, of basically his buddies uh, for Life magazine and they ranked presidents then. He did it again in 1962. Um, and since then, a variety of different organizations have done these kinds of surveys with uh, basically similar methodologies where they ask a bunch of historians and political scientists and sometimes uh, lawyers uh and other kinds of people who claim to have some authority on this topic to to rank presidents. Uh, the Wall Street Journal has done it a few times, uh, Siena College Research Institute has done it a bunch of times, and they've always done it in the second year of a presidency, so they did it in 82, 90, 94, 2002, 2010, uh, and 2018, uh, so that's always kind of an interesting one to, to think about. Um, in 2011, the Institute for the Study of the Americas in London did one, so that's actually one of the times when an international audience has done one, and this is the, I think, fourth time C-SPAN has done done this survey. Uh, they did it first, I believe, in 2000, uh, did it again 2009, 2017, and, and now, now this one.
1: Yeah, that's right. So they've been rather irregular, although they have got a lot of fanfare for this one and a lot of attention, so I imagine it'll probably become a regular quadrennial event for them um, in the fe- going forward.
0: Oh, to be sure. So in this one, they, you know, just thinking about the methodology, they had a, a uh, survey uh, that they sent to a whole bunch of people. They had 142 responses to this survey. Uh, uh, their the people they pulled were, were historians, political scientists. Some of them were in academia. Some of them were, were not. Um we can talk about the who they polled if, if we want to. Uh, they asked them to rank all the presidents in 10 categories. I think the categories are interesting. They are uh, public persuasion, crisis leadership, economic management, moral authority, international relations, administrative skills, relations with Congress, vision, setting an agenda, pursuing equal justice for all, that's gonna be an interesting one, to see how they apply that one, um, performance within context of time and overall. And they did not define any of these terms for the survey participants. So so how one interprets moral authority or uh, pursuing equal justice for all, they, they let the the different uh, survey takers um Interpret that yeah, but
1: seem to me there's a there's an inherent tension between pursued equal justice for all and performance within context of times. times. Right. <laughs> yes. Because um, prior to arguably prior till 1964 um, in the Civil Rights Act, none of these individuals would would score very well on pursued equal justice for all. On the other hand, one of the things we historians do is to attempt to place people in the context of their times, and mm. um, so it seems to me there's a, there's a tension there. Uh, but we, you know, and presumably that was played out that that plays itself out in some of the scores. Just for for, for the benefit of our listeners, um, I suppose we should say the top three in the. So now we're referring to the C-SPAN's uh, right poll. Um, uh, the top three, Abraham Lincoln came out first. He's been first in every single C-SPAN poll going back to 2000. And
0: he was first in the Schlesinger poll. Right. And he's been Lincoln's been first in almost all of these with a couple of exceptions where he finished second and one where he finished third.
1: Right. And George Washington is second. Franklin Roosevelt is third. It's usually... Those three at the top in almost all of these polls. In sometimes, that order. And it, sometimes the orders change, but usually it's those three in that order. Yes. Uh, and the at the bottom, we've got some interesting. Uh, President Trump entered the poll for the first time, and he came fourth from bottom in C-SPAN, although he had the same number of points as Franklin Pierce. So actually, they're both joint third from bottom, okay. depending on how you want to read a leaderboard. Um, C-SPAN doesn't quite know how to do a leaderboard, it seems to me. Uh, and then Andrew Johnson and James Buchanan are um, uh, second from bottom and, and bottom. Uh, so it goes Trump and Pierce joint third, then Andrew Johnson, then James Buchanan. I think one thing I was thinking about about this and, 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 and Donald Trump um, coming in third from bottom on this poll has got a lot of attention in the mm. past 24 hours since, since the rankings came up. Do you think it's fair to judge somebody right after they've left office? I mean, should there be, you know, again, to, to use the analogy mm-hmm. of baseball, you know, there, there's a time period that has to pass before somebody can be considered for the Hall okay. of Fame. And 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 in fairness, I mean, I, I think we're, we're going to learn more about Trump as the years pass. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the um, January 6th panel is just convening now. I mean, more may come out that might not help him. But leave aside how one feels about President Trump. But is it fair even to assess... President Obama at this point who did quite well. I think he's 10th right yeah no,
0: Obama is, um, and, he, and he's gone up the ranks and yeah, over the past several years. he's yeah. improved.
1: but do we need to let a, leave a little bit of, let a little bit of time pass before we as, assess people properly?
0: I think we do. I mean well, and I think part of it is this, this split between you know the people who are polled who are historians who I think would all largely agree with that assessment that we don't necessarily know enough about the Trump presidency yet don't have enough perspective on it. Versus say political scientists who who don't think that margin of, of time is necessary, um, you know. Looking back at, at these earlier polls in terms of people who have their sort of debut on on particular polls, they often get a score that is not in concordance with what they sort of settle out to. And one really interesting example of that is is, is Eisenhower, who um, was in the the second of these polls that Arch Schlesinger did in nineteen sixty two. Eisenhower ranked 21st, which was near the bottom, given the, how many presidents they had at that point. Um, and that's obviously only sort of you know, less, basically a year and a bit since he had left office. Um, but since then, his, his ranking has gone up. It went up in uh, basically all the polls since then. He's been somewhere between. Um, 11, and what he's now? He's now at 5th.
1: He's 5th.
0: So, uh, on again,
1: this is just the C-SPAN result, but in the last four C-SPAN mm. polls, so in 2000, he was 9, in 2008, he was 8th, in 2017, he was 5th, and he is 5th in the, in the current survey. So Eisenhower's gone up as time has passed. Mm.
0: And, and I think that... But I think the biggest jump, though, was between that first poll when he was ranked very low and then pretty much everything since then he's been... Gradually moving up the ranks, but, but you know, he was not considered to be a very successful president, at least by the people that Arts Schlesinger pulled in 1962. But let, let
1: me just give the, uh, I think we should talk about who's moved over yes, the years, yes. who's gone up and who's gone down. But before I do that, just for, this, for the uh, benefit of the listeners, let me read the top 10.
0: Top 10?
1: Yeah, well, and I'll count down. Oh, so this is... Casey Oh, I was
0: <laughs> David Letterman. Right, good.
1: So um, Barack Obama is 10th. On the current survey, Ronald Reagan is ninth, John F. Kennedy is eighth, Thomas Jefferson is seventh, Harry Truman is sixth, Dwight Eisenhower is fifth, Theodore Roosevelt is fourth, Franklin Roosevelt is third, George Washington is second, and Abraham Lincoln is first. Um, does anything strike
0: you about that that particular list as unusual or? Um, those you know the people at the top of the list don't tend to change a huge amount. You know Obama is interesting, in as much as how do we, and as you point out, you know i try to sort of assess that the legacy of Obama administration is is difficult, but um, him being tenth I think is quite interesting. Him ranking higher than Lyndon Johnson is interesting. Yeah, well that that is interesting. So he
1: Obama was twelfth last time. Uh, essentially, he and Lyndon Johnson have flipped. So Lyndon Johnson was 10th in 2017 on the C-SPAN mm-hmm. and is now 11th. Obama was 12th last time and has moved up to 10th. Um, I, th- I think that's, that's interesting that Obama seems to be rising. And I wonder the degree to which uh, people aren't either explicitly or implicitly comparing the Obama presidency and the mm. Trump presidency in, in terms of tone and demeanor and things like that. I,
0: I think that actually happens with lots of presidents where they get compared to the people who are immediately before them or after them. If you look at people at the bottom of the list, you know, if you look at Andrew Johnson and and, and Buchanan, part of the reason why they're at the bottom of the list is they're, they're on opposite sides of the guy at the top of the list. right. You know, right. And the fact that neither of them are Lincoln means that they, by comparison, don't look so good. Um, so I think that that is definitely at play. So who's rising and falling, Dave? Well, so, you know, looking at the sort of long trajectory of things, a couple people who have who have really uh, fallen. Um, one is, is Andrew Jackson. So Andrew Jackson in Schlesinger's poll, uh, and Schlesinger actually wrote a biography yeah. of Jeff Jackson. Um so he may have tipped the scales a bit, uh, but he was six um, in that poll and, and ranked very highly uh, in the polls that came out in the in the 80s and 90s. Uh, and he has now dropped pretty significantly over the past five years in particular. Um,
1: Is, uh, and, and he's
0: now down to 20 seconds, so he's in the middle.
1: Right. So, um, but, but uh, I wonder if you're talking about the unfavorable comparison between um, uh, Lincoln and his his predecessor and successor, and how that hurts them. Yeah. Do you think that Jackson has been hurt by his association with Trump? Which of course isn't his doing. I think there are yes. reasons why Jackson shouldn't be ranked mm-hmm. highly, but but he, but he was so closely associated with Trump in the in the minds of the public and historians. It
0: probably didn't help. Um, but I think the bigger thing is about sort of you know what is it about the the Jackson presidency that people think are is the defining and noteworthy elements of it right and if we think about you know the, what our arts lessinger thought was notable about Jackson it was things like the bank wars the nullification crisis you know and if you look at, at more recent historical treatments we tend to sort of prioritize Indian removal uh, and both the, the you know, before his presidency, his wars against Native Americans, um, and his support of slavery is the defining features of his presidency. Um, it makes it very hard if one of the criteria is uh, pursue equal justice for all to to put Jackson, um, you know, in any kind of positive figures in, in that category, given that that. Uh, Indian removal was one of the highest priorities of his administration.
1: Yeah, in the C SPAN poll, so over the which gives us the the past twenty years, he was thirteenth in two thousand and two thousand and nine, and then he dropped to eighteenth in two thousand and seventeen and he's now dropped twenty second. One I think I, I, I if I were going to predict, I would suspect he's not going to rise for the foreseeable future. I have a feeling that he. I, I think uh, the stock in Andrew Jackson is going down and will probably continue to go down. Well, I mean, uh,
0: the question I have about these polls, and I mean, I have lots of questions about these polls, is, is you know, when we rank these people on these criteria, are we ranking them based <laughs> or, on how? We judge the, these figures now. I mean, do these polls tell us more about us than they do us about Andrew Jackson? Maybe. Um, I think, uh, you know, the criteria that, that that they've established, you can imagine that Art Schlesinger's criteria would have been very different, right? And so they were playing by by very different sort of sets of rules. Um, but I think, you know, Jackson's probably going to go down. But Jackson was, you know, if you talk about which are the most, are we ranking the best presidents or the most important presidents, right, and the most critical um, in terms of, of, of people who changed the institution of the presidency, people who changed the shape of the country. Jackson's really important.
1: Yeah, I, I think if we're assessing significance or impact, that's slightly different than um, Deciding who we like. Yes. <laughs> and to <laughs> in, some extent, this is a popularity contest. <laughs> this is
0: voting for the prom king, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and and if we were to sort of allocate the amount of time we give in a survey course based on this poll, I think that would be pretty distorting in some ways if you relegate Jackson to somewhere in the middle because he's a hugely problematic figure. We devote time to him in our lecture course because he is a deeply problematic figure and it, it's his complexity and the contradictions embedded within him that make him worth talking about. Um, I, I mean, I want to... There are a couple of things I want to follow up, but before mm. we do that,
1: let's talk about rising and falling yeah, yeah. first. Let's, let's finish that aspect of it. Okay? Well, there's a,
0: there's a few other figures that have really uh, changed pretty significantly, at least in, in my sort of looking at the numbers. Uh and two, I think, that go together um, are presidents number 17 and 18. That is uh, Andrew Johnson and Grant. Because uh, Johnson, uh, in this first Schlesinger poll, was ranked 19th. So he was ranked somewhere in the sort of middle. Uh, and now he's ranked pretty close to the bottom, next to, next to last. Uh, and Grant, in the Schlesinger poll, was ranked next to last in both the 48 and 62 iterations of that poll. And now he's ranked 20th. And so Grant's stock has risen significantly, uh, especially in recent years, and Johnson's stock has gone down pretty dramatically. Uh, and I think that reflects in part the changes in historiography about about Johnson and Grant. Um, but I think it also sort of is, is about you know how, how much you prioritize things like pursuing equal justice for all um you know whereas grant waged a war against the clan during his presidency you know johnson worked very hard to undermine reconstruction and to make black freedom only uh nominal um and to sort of limit the effectiveness of reconstruction um and so that's one where i think the the you know, how you prioritize different things has really radically changed how they've been positioned.
1: Yeah, there's another factor too to bear in mind. I, mean, I think you're absolutely right about that. And Grant's stock is rising. And I think as we see these things go on, I think Grant will probably continue to rise as Jackson Falls, oh, for yes. example. Uh, however, I think one thing to, to bear in mind is also uh, what's going on in the broader culture and in publishing. So, mm-hmm. so Harry Truman's status now is... Was pretty much confirmed. I don't know if you have got the data from yeah, earlier yeah. surveys, but um, at hand, David. But you know, Truman's position has pretty well been solidified in the top ten since the appearance of David McCulloch's biography of him twenty odd years ago or twenty five yeah. years ago. Similarly, Grant received you know the big doorstopper biographical treatment from Ron, Ron Chernow. Uh, a few years ago yeah and,
0: and, and some other people like Brooks Simpson have been really right. important in, in in revitalizing his status as president you know people always the the the, the line on Grant the old line on Grant the one that the, these these surveys were, were reiterating was good general corrupt president right. and what I think people have recognized in fact that his presidency accomplished a lot more uh, and was not as corrupt as, as, as his critics many of whom were Southern Democrats who were trying to reinstall white supremacy during his presidency uh, made it out to be um, that's, right. So, that's right so so, so, so grant has, has changed pretty dramatically um, Wilson has also shifted a lot and I think for for very similar kinds of reasons Wilson was uh, fourth in the original 48 poll and and was ranked very highly um, you know throughout the 80s and 90s uh, but has gradually sort of fallen back in the rankings, and is now 13th. That's right. So he's still in the top tier, but um, I mean, I think he very much has gotten dinged for things like pursuing equal justice for all, uh, because he was a segregationist, uh, you know, he he actively pursues racist racist policies as, as president, so.
1: That's right. The current racial reckoning that's going on in the wider culture, but also in the historiography is not... It's not helping Woodrow Wilson. So, yeah. as you say, he, he's thirteenth in the current survey. I was surprised he was that high, frankly. Mm. Um, I mean, he is very significant, of course. Uh, but but uh, he was sixth in the C in the first C span poll back in two thousand. So his he, he's he, his direction is downward. It would seem to be to be sure. Uh,
0: now, I mean, one of the things about the the, the methodology of this curtain poll that I think may distort some things is, is that it ranks all these categories equally, right? And you know, you're asked to sort of rank all the people from, I think, 1 to 10 in these various categories. For some presidents, international relations is a lot more important than others. Sure. Right? You know, if you are Woodrow Wilson, if you're FDR, international relations is critically important. Bunch of other presidents, especially in the 19th century, not so much, right? Um, Depending on how one defines international relations. Um, Or public persuasion. So public persuasion... Is
1: different in the late 18th, early 19th century, when the decision-making political Mm. class is very small, um, than it is today. You know, so 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 I think that you know Barack Obama and Ronald Reagan do very well in this survey, Mm. in part because of their ability to communicate with the public. That wasn't a strength, or that wasn't that wasn't an attribute that presidents many er, presidents in an earlier period necessarily needed.
0: Yes. You know, and so in thinking talking about how the people rank the, the public persuasion, FDR ranks number one for that because he had, you know, the fireside chats and all these kinds of you know, ways of communicating to the public. Um, Trump actually doesn't do that badly in public persuasion, but, like, he had Twitter, right? You know, Grover Cleveland didn't have Twitter. Uh, and so, it, you know, it's very hard to compare these things in in um, absolute terms, Um I'm also finding one of the things about this survey is I, I would find it very hard to rank all 44 presidents in these 10 categories. Yeah, uh, I between put, us, we know a lot about these, these people, category, but we don't... I, I, yeah, that's right. Relationship with Congress. I, I you know, I, I really like James Garfield. I couldn't tell you anything about his relationship with Congress, partially because he wasn't president for very long, um, because he got shot. Um, and actually, most of his presidency was in a, a medical coma. Um You know, and and, and sort of evaluating these things, I'm wondering in some ways if previous polls actually shape how people fill out the survey. In as much as now that there's a tradition of doing these things, I'm I'm betting for some of the people filling out the polls, they say, I don't know how to put Grover Cleveland in these categories, because Grover Cleveland isn't a deeply studied president, at least not at the current moment. Where do I put him in these various, uh, you know, how do I rank him? I'm betting they may have actually looked at earlier polls to figure out, uh, give them some guidance about how to do that. Uh, yeah,
1: that's an interesting point. And, and clearly not everybody is an expert in all areas Equally, right. Equally. So, you know? so that, that that would be a, a challenge. I, mean, I would find it a challenge to, to complete this, um, in all, with all those criteria for all 44 individuals. Um, What do you think, David? Are you happy with the rankings? And the I mean, leaving aside, it's silly. I mean, you know, all the Good usual sure. qualifiers. I mean, is Lincoln overrated at first? He's always number one. Does he deserve to be number one? He's, he's from your period. This yes, is, he, has,
0: you, he has. No, no, I think so. Um, you know, part of it, though, is, is about you know, who, who is, whose presidency actually was the most consequential. If that is how in some ways what you are defining, his presidency was very consequential in as much as his election to pres- the presidency is what caused secession session to happen in the first place, um, at least the the, the the thing that lit the fuse, um, you know, and the choices he made as president were extraordinarily consequential and long lasting, whether that's you know about the way he waged war, about the Emancipation Proclamation, his support for the 13th Amendment um, and what have you. Um, did he do everything perfectly? No. He had all kinds of problems with civil liberties. His stance on Native Americans was deeply problematic in a number of, of different cases. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy with his ranking as number one. Um, you know, the, the, the ones, that the, 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 the few that I think are, are treated unfairly, I think James Buchanan is ranked last. Buchanan was a bad president. No doubt, he made enormously some enormously bad decisions. You know, he supported the the Dred Scott decision. He he was largely inactive during the secession crisis. Uh, he said basically the p- president doesn't have power to do anything to stop states from leaving if that's what they want. He said the powers of the presidency are quite distinctly limited by the Constitution, which is a legitimate constitutional reading, I guess. Um, all of which were mistakes and had devastating consequences. On the other hand, the forces that led to the Civil War were so profound that even if you had put a much better man in that office at that moment, a better uh, politician, a better, you know, and and Buchanan was actually a very skilled politician, um, would things have turned out differently? Not sure they would have, right? Um, If you had put sort of your, your average middle of the road, you know, what your replacement presidency I'm not sure Buchanan deserves the blame for as many things as he gets.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm struck, David. If you, if you look at the bottom, and this is using the C-SPAN points tally. Yeah. So so Buchanan is last, um, Andrew Johnson second for bottom, and then Trump and Pierce are tied.
0: Up. Franklin Pierce also is, is, like, not a good president. Right? right,
1: although I think he suffers just from people not knowing very much about... I mean, he he's one of those 19th century presidents who... You know, frankly, he, people,
0: he was an expansionist. He was in, fit you know, he, uh, was, Gadsden purchase was part of his deal, uh, during during his presidency, where he purchased a little bit from, from Mexico to help complete the transcontinental southern route of the transcontinental railroad. He supported the Kansas Nebraska Act, but I actually had a point I was trying to make, David. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> go on, people who <laughs> Pierce was, before you go on
1: your Franklin Pierce rant, um, which is the gap between Trump and Pierce. And Johnson and Buchanan is quite significant mm. numerically. So Buchanan's on 227 points, Johnson's on 230. Mm. So essentially they're tied for mm. last. But then there's a pretty significant gap because you go up to 312 points for Trump and Pierce. Mm. So what's interesting to me is, now, apropos of your comments about Buchanan, which I agree with, is mm. he's bad, but he's not necessarily the worst. I mm. mean, I, I, Arguably Trump is worse. Uh, yeah. Trump or Johnson, I think, were probably worse than, than Buchanan. But that gap is pretty significant in terms of the based on the methodology of Mm. this particular survey, which suggests that Johnson and Buchanan really are rooted at the bottom and probably will be the next time. Well, there's there's
0: very people who are advocating for them. Right, right, Right. that's right, Um, that's right. I mean, there were people who advocating for Johnson back, uh, you know, in the '60s, uh, but those people are all uh, dead and gone now. Um, Well, one of the things about thinking about Some people were surprised that Trump didn't end up last. And I'm not surprised actually when you look at the um, people who were on the panel. Because most of them were academics, but there were a handful of people that were picked that were um, professional pundits. Uh, One of whom was uh, Peter Wood of the, not not Peter Wood, the historian of of slavery in the American South, but Peter Wood of the uh, Institute of... Uh, it's American Scholars or something, which is a conservative think tank. Uh, he was one of the people that Trump had a, as part of his uh, 1776 commission, and was at the big White House event just before uh, the insurrection. Um, and
1: National Association of Scholars. National,
0: yes, uh, which is, despite its name, not really what it, it's a conservative think tank. He's not a historian, he's a I think he's an anthropologist, maybe. Um, but he's somebody who, is, who has publicly supported Trump very recently in the past. When they've done these polls, they, they've done some interesting polls that are sort of adjacent to this in, in recent years about having asking Americans to rank who the best and worst presidents are since World War II. Um, I think uh, Quinnipiac College has done this. And intriguingly, some of the same people that end up as the best and worst in that poll are the same people. So, you know, for people who like President Trump, he's among the best presidents since World War II. If people hate him, he's the worst, right? The same with Obama. Obama at one point was ranked the, the both the worst president since World War II and the second best. Um, and I think that sort of factors into this kind of, of equation as well.
1: What do you think of George W. Bush's ranking? So he came out at 29.
0: Oh, um, that's a uh, that's really a good question. Um, and he's somebody whose who's, who's stock has gone up and down a bit since he's left the presidency. He's never been very high. He's never been all that low. Um, he's gone as high as, as 19 uh, in rankings in the past, and he's uh, gone as low as 35th. Yeah, in C-SPAN, um, he's
1: 36, 33, and then 29, and so, he's, so he's, going, he's, he's in the bottom okay, so half, it, but moving up.
0: Actually, in one, one he was in 39. Okay, so anyway, he's, he's gone up and down, um, but somewhere in the middle. Um, I mean, the question w- w- with him, and I think with lots of, of these figures, is are we judging the choices they made as president? Are we judging how consequential their presidency was, which is not necessarily the same thing? Um you know, if you look at George W. Bush, uh, how was he doing immediately after 9-11? He seemed to be doing okay. He seemed to uh, gather public support, uh, at least in that particular moment. Everything after that, at least in, in my reckoning, was something of a disaster, um, most notably with the war in Iraq. I well, would rank a- him lower as a consequence of that, uh, but, um, you know... How much of that you attribute to him, how much you uh, attribute to, I don't know, people like uh, Donald Rumsfeld, who passed away yesterday. Um, well, it's his administration. Administration, that, to that, be that, short, that, yeah. I
1: think for this, for the purposes of this exercise, it is that, ranking that, that whole, doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think arguably his was the biggest foreign policy mistake hmm since the Vietnam War, yeah. and arguably since the Second World War. So, so the, well,
0: I'm surprised he's ranked as highly as he so, is. So one of the thing, one of the criteria here was economic management, right? Which is a very tricky thing to assess. What is the role of the presidency in, in, in affecting the economy? The economy during the George W. Bush administration, until the last, say, six months of it, was really generally very good. How much of that was attributable to George W. Bush? I have no idea. Sure. Uh, and I think likewise with President Trump, part of the reason why he didn't rank last or one of the car- categories in which he ranked, you know, um, somewhere in the middle was in, in economic management. Again, how much, how, how great the, the, the Trump era tax cuts were at, on a macroeconomic level, I have no idea. That's deeply outside my area of expertise, and I'm not sure we've actually been able to see the effects of those things. Um Long term, yet right. Um, how much ability the president has to to transform the economy is a is a question that, that historians have debated for, for many years. How much blame, for instance, do do you know we give to to presidents who are who happen to be have the misfortune of being president during bad economic times? Is is Hoover bad because of the, of the Wall Street crash? Who knows? You know, you know, and how much of that can be blamed on him?
1: Do you? Are there any criteria or characteristics, as they're called in C-SPAN, that are mm. missing from that list that you think should be on
0: there? That's a good question. Um, I think they should be... Cl- I, mean, I think the, the cr- criteria should be clear about what they actually are. You know? and, and, and C-SPAN said, well, we wanted the... Historians and political scientists to define them for themselves, um, which is an interesting way to do it. But on the other hand, um, it 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 uh, you know doesn't make clear about what the survey is actually supposed to measure, right? Are we measuring the the best presidents, the most important presidents, the people who are best at public persuasion, the people who are best at crisis leadership? You know, who is the public in public persuasion? I have no idea, um, right? And you know, if you're if public persuasion is white men, then then you might have a different various assessment than if public persuasion is about the public being all of the American people in in broadest definitions you can use.
1: What do you think of the of Theodore Roosevelt's ranking? I mean, he's consistently fourth. Yes. Um, part of it is. And with apologies to colleagues and students who like that era, I'm just not terribly interested in, in the time he was president. <laughs> uh, that that particular period doesn't doesn't interest me that much. So therefore, I perhaps underrate him. But he's it seems to me consistently ranked. He he's he's overrated yeah. he, to, well, in, in my he, view. Would you, he's I on Mount unfair? Rushmore, so so therefore <sighs> you know
0: he's iconic and he gets the, he gets the stuff for that. Um, you know, and I think a you know, part of it is he is somebody who redefined the presidency in very important ways he's somebody who in, uh, invented the bully pulpit in in uh, to some degree yeah, in public persuasion he's an interesting figure you figure. know he he's very important in terms of the history of, of conservation and, and 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 u.s imperialism both as president and and, and before presidency there is a, a, a question about whether we are just ranking these people as the time when they are in office versus their entire life, because some of these figures have had very important uh, careers before their president, and, and in some cases, important careers after their president. Yeah, I mean,
1: Jefferson goes up if it's a lifetime achievement award. Because
0: if <laughs> it's like, at, no, no, if you're looking at the whole CV, yes,
1: uh, and. and... I, have, I joked about this with you uh, before we started and, and on Twitter as well. I think every president from Massachusetts on this survey right. is overrated. Uh, because, And I say that as somebody who was born and raised in the 617 area code. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, both Adamses seem to me to do really, really well, yes. better than they should. Uh, so John Adams is 15th and John Quincy Adams is 17th. Um, those seem very high to me. Those seem high to me, too, because as presidents... their presidencies were single terms and they were not terribly good. Uh, On the other hand, if you're talking about their lifetime in public service, Mm. both of them are actually very, very highly ranked uh, or should be very, very highly ranked, arguably higher. So if you're looking at lifetime achievement... If we look at the lifetime achievements of the people who served as president, hmm. as opposed to looking at the, them as presidents, I think they do quite well. But I think they're overrated as presidents in this. Buchanan this certain,
0: and Hoover would also be bumped right, up the ranks. Right, that's the right, that's
1: right. Um, and maybe that's the fairer standard. I don't, I, I don't know. But if, if if this is an assessment of people as president, which is what I think it is, hmm. then I think they are overrated. I, um, is there anybody else you think is is in the wrong place?
0: Oh, that's. A, I, I think. I mean, speaking of, of of Massachusetts presidents, I think I think Kennedy is is ranked probably higher than he than his accomplishments deserve. Um, and obviously, his presidency is a is a mixed bag. You've got the Bay of Pigs, clearly a disaster. We've got the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is a you know a huge uh, success or at least a well, that's one way of reading that event. Um, you know his, his legislative accomplishments. Pretty minuscule, um, you know. Uh, he he spoke a good game, and so I think his, his persuasion and sort of vision may be uh, important. Um, but but obviously he's also a presidency that that's cut short, so it's hard to you know give him a grade for for four years when he served three. Well,
1: and that that brings up another thing. I wonder if all the two term presidents should be ahead of all the single term presidents. The reason being, a two term president. Or in uh, Roosevelt's case, somebody mm. who's elected four times, mm. that's the ultimate public survey or the ultimate survey so they, they, their contemporaries chose them to serve again. It seems to me that if you're looking at a lot of uh, looking at questions of public persuasion mm. and so on that, that 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 that's quite significant and that and that would change the ratings a lot so then, Jackson moves up, Nixon moves uh, up. I
0: mean, I think I think yeah, that, um, yeah Nixon's a complicated one. How I thought, you know, but on the other hand, you could have a one-term president like um, uh Polk, who's another person who's actually moved around a lot. He's been as high as eighth, uh, is now um eighteenth. Um. Polk, one-term president. Now part of that was for largely for health reasons, but he's somebody who came in and said, "Here's the five things I want to do," and he did them, and they were all pretty significant things. And, you know, in terms of having a vision of what he wanted to accomplish, he met his vision, he was, you know, and was successful in persuading Congress of things. He he did all of those kinds of, and obviously his uh, equality for all, he falls down pretty significantly, but uh, one can do a lot in one term if one does it properly. Sure, but so so so... And people can do nothing in two terms. Of course. but so, so would you disagree with my
1: assertion that by definition somebody who's, who's elected twice should be ranked above somebody? And, and there might be good reasons for some people not being yeah, ele- re-elected, yeah, I mean, including George
0: dying. Chinese. Yes. <laughs> dying is a perfect good reason for not continuing public service. Um, yes.
1: But as a measure, because that is a measure of their success in their time, if they are able to, you know, swayed, to win yes. re-election.
0: To be sure. Uh, I think that's... But, but also that partially depends on who they are running against all these other kinds of, you know, the, the, the contextualization of the one of those things these rankings do is they do in some ways strip a lot of the context of these, these, these individual presidencies that has changed so dramatically, mm. you know, and, and, and that's one of the things that, that always sort of makes me sort of look at these lists and say, well, these are, these are fun, but also kind of stupid. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, so by my two-term standard... Maybe Bill Clinton rises because Bill Clinton is an interesting character in this. He is he's got he's nineteenth in the current survey. He was twenty first in two thousand, right after he left office. That's right. C span fourteenth uh, and then fifteenth. So he rose, sort of a few years after he was out of office. Yes. Those are during the Bush years, of course, mm-hmm. uh, the George W. Bush years. So to some extent, that might be. It's a bit like it. That tracks interestingly against. It's similar to Obama's yes. rise. Uh, but then he settled down to nineteenth um, now in the current survey. So he, which is more or less where he was when he left office, he was twenty first. But he's got almost the same tally of points hmm. as his predecessor George H. W. Bush. Bush. So so. Uh, Bill Clinton has 594 points, then Ulysses Grant is between the two, he's got 590, but George H.W. Bush has 585. So there's not much difference Mm. in this, according to these survey results, between the first George Bush and Bill Clinton, which is interesting because, of course, Clinton served two terms, Yes, and um, I think was reckoned for a long time to be... A quite consequential president, but as time passes, that doesn't seem to be
0: as prevalent of you. Yeah, it's hard It's hard to it's, figure, it's, you know, looking back on that, those eight years, uh, the things people remember are his impeachment, which is stupid, but that's, you know, uh, what people remember about it. The economy was good. How much of that was his doing? Right. Hard to say. Foreign policy, uh, you know, in some ways he was blessed with not having the complex foreign policy issues of either his predecessor or his successor um you know and so again the the, the contacts matters a lot how much of that was, was clinton's doing how much of that was was a factor of other things it's very hard to say um, but he's not somebody who particularly changed the office a great deal uh, in some ways he was kind of a, a the placeholder.
1: Yeah, I mean, his was a relatively quiet. It wasn't quiet at the time. There was a huge amount of storm and drong around. His There's presence. lots of noise, but it didn't There's actually. There's a lot of noise, but his two-term presidency was relatively quiet in All right. terms of achievements. Anyway,
0: now one thing they've never done is they've never ranked vice presidents. That would be. <laughs> Yes, David, yeah. I think you should
1: start the Silconet survey of vice presidents. <laughs> hey, you know, I think
0: that'd be interesting because nobody knows who the hell those people are, you know, and, and most of them are in It's
1: amazing the degree, because, of course, they all have so-called Potomac fever. Everyone who becomes vice president becomes vice president in the hope that they will become president. <laughs> Every single person. person. And the vast majority of them Don't. do not. Yeah. do not. And, and, and it's amazing how quickly they are
0: forgotten. That is true, right? I mean, I can... Both of us are, do this for a living. I couldn't name half of them. Oh, I'm sure I couldn't. I'm sure I couldn't. And
1: and some that I know or you know some still surprise me. Mm. You know Dan Quayle. <laughs>
0: what happened to Dan Quayle? I think I saw him at the the Republican convention last year. But uh, beyond that,
1: so, so it is interesting how important that role is, and even Mike Pence, who was nearly killed by his president, arguably, mm. uh, allegedly. I want to make clear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was almost killed by the president's followers. Yes, you know. yeah, yeah. To be more precise, uh, you think Mike Pence was oh, yeah, we had four years, and that was just, that was as recently as a few months ago. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So, so it's amazing how forgettable most of the vice presidents are, until they're not. Until so, they're, you know, yeah. Lyndon Johnson becomes president because of the assassination of John Kennedy, and I, 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 I'm surprised Johnson isn't ranked more highly. I mean, his presidency is definitely a mixed bag uh but, you know on foreign policy the vietnam war is there but but in terms of domestic policy it's one of the most significant presidencies He's,
0: you know i think full stop both he and, and nixon i think are, are sort of these mixed bags of 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 you know very significant pluses and minuses uh and, and i think that's sort of hard to figure out how you, how you do the math there right time for last drops right right, uh, David, right go <laughs> ahead <laughs> you've
1: heard this before listeners, Our listeners have, heard, have or... heard this before you can stop now if you want actually david's got a good last drop so, so don't stop you can fast forward about two minutes if, if you. The Fourth of July is looming. It's time for my twice yearly rant about the Declaration of Independence and the Declaration of Our Broth. I do this in April and July. I do it in April around the anniversary of the Declaration of Our Broth, and I will do it now as the anniversary of the Declaration of Independence in the United States of the United States is looming. There is, and let me make this clear. I'm speaking as clearly as I can. No connection between the declarations of our growth and the American Declaration of Independence. These things are unrelated. Nationalists and certain politicians on both sides of the Atlantic are heavily invested in claiming otherwise. It is not true. Thank you. That's my last drop.
0: I'll see you again in
1: April. <laughs> you
0: know, but for those of you who haven't heard this rant before and, and who may not be familiar with with medieval Scottish history... Do you want to give them the, the two second or the ten second version of the Declaration of Our which wasn't called that at the time, but what is now called? The yeah, well, actually, of I'm a little
1: reluctant. I don't want to wade into the waters of Scottish nationalism or Scottish history. To be frank with you, uh, uh, <laughs> However, the Declaration of Our was a letter um, in the 1300s from the in the 14 early 14th century from a group of um, Scottish lairds to the Pope. Um, it has been re—I mean, its history and the way this thing has been reconfigured is an interesting story in Scottish history as well as Scottish politics in the 20th century, as it, as it was reconfigured as the Declaration of Our growth uh, in the early 20th century. But it's become an article of faith among not all nationalists in Scotland certainly, and not all nationalists in the United States that there's a connection. It's it's been widely um, this has been widely promoted. Uh, in certain circles, really for the past, much of the past century, but uh, that, that the Declaration of Our Birth was an inspiration for the American Declaration of Independence. And there is no evidence to support this. There's nothing. So your,
0: your man, TJ, didn't ask for a copy to be sent up from Virginia to his place in Philadelphia? He did not. He no. did
1: not. However, and, and what is lost in this is that... Um, there's a really interesting history about uh, in terms of the Scottish influence on the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. So, two of the signatories to the Declaration were important figures, James Wilson and John Witherspoon. They were important legal and, and constitutional thinkers, uh, and they they were uh, in attendance at the and at the for the debates over the Declaration of Independence. Jefferson himself was read widely in what we now call the Scottish Enlightenment. Uh, there's a, there's a there's a belief there's an argument that was made almost 50 years ago by Gary Wills that, you know, so the famous phraseology in, in the Declaration of Independence is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, and, of course, the Lockean trio is life, liberty, and property. So there's a big debate about where, where where does happiness come from? What does it mean? Mm. And, and Wills made a persuasive argument, as I say, nearly 50 years ago, uh, or 40-odd years ago, that the... Um, Jefferson derives this notion of happiness from the Scottish Enlightenment of Francis Hutcheson, who was a Northern Irish um, uh, thinker who uh, who lived and worked in Glasgow. So there are really interesting Scottish links to the Declaration of Independence. But not this one. Just not that one. Not that one. And, sorry, uh, you asked. I gave a brief version of the rest. I just said 10 seconds. (laughs) You did. (laughs) You did. Uh, However... um, this gets you when Congress sponsors when the Senate passes a resolution twenty five years ago or so sponsored by Trent Lott uh, to make Tartan Day a holiday in the United States. That resolution asserted this connection between the Declaration of Our Birth and the Declaration of Independence. So this is widely believed on both sides of the Atlantic, but there's, it's it's not, and,
0: it's not true. And, and friends, uh, you, you you listeners, you, you can't see Frank, but his face is red. And I've seen events where S and P Politicians have made this claim in the past at, at Fourth of July parties, and, and and you can see him. He's about to rush the stage. you got to hold him back. It's it's, it's uh, His blood pressure is raising, so we're going to call him Frank It's probably going to be
1: my epitaph. Uh,
0: exactly. <laughs> Certainly if I'm buried in this country. To be sure. David, what's your last Okay, thought? well, I'm going to do something a little bit slightly uh, less serious or maybe uh, a different kind of holiday, uh, and that is today, the 1st of July, is Bobby Bonilla Day. Now, many listeners may not know who Bobby Bonilla Bobby was. Bobby He was a, a baseball player. Uh, he is, is sort of uh, at the apex of his career, was in the uh, late 80s and early 90s. He played for uh, a number of teams, uh, most notably the, the Pittsburgh Pirates and the New York Mets. Now, why is today Bobby Bonilla Day? Well, at the end of his career in 2000... Um, He wasn't playing very well. He was playing for the Mets. The Mets didn't want to continue to pay him. At that point, he was one of the highest-paid players in baseball. So the Mets decided to buy him out. But in exchange for they still owed him, I think, $6 million, essentially. They said, hey, we don't want to pay you $6 million now. We will give you money later, starting in 2011. We will pay you $1.2 million every year for 25 years starting in 2011. And so Bobby Bonilla, on the 1st of July every year, gets $1.2 million for not playing baseball for a team he didn't play for 20 years ago, which is a pretty good
1: retirement plan. It's a great country.
0: <laughs> so this is probably the worst deal the Mets have made. It's one of the worst deals cool. in baseball history. It's right up there, maybe not as bad as as, as, as the Red Sox selling Babe Ruth, but it, it's pretty close The reason, by the way, why the Mets decided to make this stupid deal um, was that their financial advisors at the time, a guy named Bertie Madoff, (laughs) told them, look, don't pay him $6 million now. Invest that money with me. I can make you a lot more than that uh, in the short term. So you can go ahead and give him this huge payout, uh, which ended up being they're paying him. $30 Thirty million dollars when they owed him six. Uh, yeah, just give that money to me. And so the Mets lost all of the money because Bernie Madoff was running a Ponzi scheme, and they're still paying Bobby Bonilla uh, one point two million dollars a year. So uh, if you're listening to this, Bobby Bonilla, uh, congratulations you. to you. <laughs> good Dreams job are on you. Exactly. <laughs> you and your agent made a good deal. Hope you're enjoying life. It's actually, quite interesting because of course
1: there are plenty of stories of uh, of athletes. Um, in North America and elsewhere, hmm. who are very, very highly paid, but then often squander the money they made during their their playing careers. And Bobby Bonilla did. Uh, I apologize for the dog barking. That's my son's dog. We're wrapping things up. She wants us to finish. Um, uh, guys, blowing through their money. Bobby Bonilla now in the second half of life. In the back, he's on the back nine now. He's fifty eight years old. Is guaranteed this payment. That's very good. We got to wrap up. The dog is going crazy. All right. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>
0: The Whiskey Rebellion is hosted by David Silkenet and Frank Cogliano. David is a senior lecturer in American history at the University of Edinburgh and Frank is Professor of American History and Dean International for North America at the University of Edinburgh. The Whiskey Rebellion is available on iTunes, Stitcher and Podbean. You can follow the show on Twitter at Whiskey Rebel Pod and like the show on Facebook for updates about current and future episodes.